This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631-261-6420. That's 631-261-6420. Auto Excellence. Tommy Cairo. And when I walk down that aisle this Saturday night at the ECW Arena... I want each and every one of you to rise, get up off your feet, and pay homage to my new manager, the Virgin Princess Angel. Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my host, my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. What's happening? And this evening, our guest uh, for an interview is Jeffrey T. Capo. Jeffrey, how are you? Everyone? How are you? Good. So we want to get uh, into your history, uh, you know, who you are, where sure. you're from, who you were trained by who you're famous for working with, uh, what your position is and has been in wrestling. So, uh, you know, get us started off. Let us know who Jeffrey T. Capo is. All right. Well, I guess we'll go way back to the beginning. Um, I started watching wrestling in the early 70s. Um, <clears throat> I am from the Baltimore area, so I watched it on, on Channel 45 here in Baltimore. Um, actually, I like to watch it. It was a double feature. It was wrestling and roller derby. Run back to back here in Baltimore. So I watched both of those. And of course, being from Baltimore, it was all WWF wrestling at the time. Um, so I like guys like Ivan Putski and the Samoans and, and all that that was going on there. And, and I was I was always watching it, always loved it, you know, as a fan and everything. And then uh, 1985, I went to my first uh, live show at the what was then the Baltimore Arena. Um, it was a WWF house show. And the main event was Roddy Roddy Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton against Jimmy Superfly Snooker and the Tonga Kid in a Texas Tornado match. Oh, nice. And uh, the, the best thing I remember about that, because the, the, the configuration was a little different than it is now, but the wrestlers would actually walk in an aisle that was kind of diagonal off the ring to the back. There was no, there was no walkway. There was no ramp or stage like they have now. So I happened to be sitting on the aisle, on the end of the aisle, and I remember as they were walking by, I got to reach out and, and kind of touch Jimmy Snook on the shoulder. Oh, so that was kind of like a, a big moment, you know, for me to actually uh, do that. 
And I kept watching wrestling through the eighties and, and, and all that and started watching, started discovering the other wrestling promotions that were out there. Again, this was a time that uh, the NWA was really pushing into the, the Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia markets, um, started catching the AWA on ESPN, world-class championship wrestling, uh, you know, all those promotions that were on TV at the time. Um, <clears throat> and then one day I was taking uh, classes here at Catonsville, what was then Catonsville Community College, uh, it's now CCBC Catonsville, which ironically I now live next door to. Um, and I happened to walk by and I'm walking down the hall and I see this flyer on the wall. And of course, when you go to a college, there's all kind of flyers for activities and everything going on. But this one caught my eye. It said, do you want to meet NWA wrestlers? And it had some pictures, some wrestlers on there. And it had like a little pull tab, a little number at the bottom. And, and, I, and I pulled it and I, I called the number. And what it was, was uh, someone that, that we're all familiar with, Joel Goodhart. Uh, Joel had started the, the Squared Circle Fan Club, of course, in Philadelphia. Uh, through his uh, radio show, well, he decided he was going to branch out and start running Square Circle event in Baltimore. Um, so I called the number and I talked to two gentlemen. I talked to Dan Schnitzer and Tony Feller. Um, they were running the they were running the Baltimore branch for for uh, for uh, Joel. And uh, their first their first big luncheon they were having in Baltimore happened to be Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, which was Bobby and Stan. And this was uh, this was May of 1989. Uh, so it was right after they had won the uh, NWA World Tag Team titles. And, of course, they held the uh, NWA U.S. Tag Team titles at the same time. So we had a luncheon at the what was the Baltimore Original Sports Bar. And, you know, got there, got some pictures taken with them and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, we were, a bunch of us were talking. And I, I kept hearing some people kept talking about independent wrestling. And I was like, well, what is that? What, what is I, I'd never really heard the term before. And I wasn't. You know, there's the picture. There's the picture of me when I had hair and glasses, which are both are gone now. So, uh, right. So, um, so that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I said something to Joel. I said, wait, you know, what is this independent wrestling? Is there somebody local that's running, you know, around here that I could, you know, go see a show or whatever? He said, wait a minute. And he said, let me go to get somebody. So he goes off and he comes back and he says, uh, it has a gentleman with him. He said, uh, he said, Jeff, this, this gentleman is Ed Zahn. Ed is running uh, a group called Atlantic Wrestling Federation. They're running here in, in Maryland and Pennsylvania. He goes, you know, I think, you know, he's having some shows soon. He said, you might want to go. So, you know, Ed introduced himself to me and we talked a bit. And he said, I got a show coming up in June uh, in York, Pennsylvania, which was only right up the road. Um, I went to high school there, so I was familiar with the town. And it's it was at the Devonnie B. Grimes gym and, and it was AWF and, and I went to the show and I was just totally blown away. I, I had never experienced anything like this. Again, obviously it was a smaller venue, but the, the crowd was super hot. Um, you know, the, the show was great. There were, there were local guys on the show. There was uh, Nikita Koloff was actually on that show because he was, he was not working for the NWA at that time. Um, so he was, he was doing independent bookings and stuffing and stuff like that. So I, I was I was absolutely I was absolutely hooked um, at that point with independent wrestling. I, I said I've got to get to do this, and I and I kept talking to Ed, and he said, "Well, I'm running this another show here in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, at the Buck Tractor Pool, which was an outdoor venue." And we I went to that show, and I got to the show, and I talked to Ed, and he said, "You know, I have my camera with me," and he said well, why don't you take pictures for me? I said, okay, well, where do you want me? He goes, oh, right here at the ring. And I'm like, you're serious? You want me to stand there and take ringside photos at your show? And he said, sure. He said, no problem. And uh, there was a there was a, quite a few people on the show. Uh, Wendy Richter was on the show, Heidi Lee Morgan, oh, uh, Nikolai Volkoff, uh, Afo the Wild Simone was on there. And then there was other local guys that were, that were on, on that show. Um, you know, we had a good time and, 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 you know, that's when Ed and I really bonded. Ed and I, Ed and I really struck up a really good friendship at that point. And Ed just kind of took me under his wing and mentored me and, and taught me all about the business. I mean, he just, you know, he just laid it all out. He said, here's what's going on. You know, here's what, you know, we can do and all this type of stuff. So we continued to work through AWF. And then in 1991, we got involved with a group called Universal Independent Wrestling, which was here in Baltimore. Now, the fun thing about Universal Independent Wrestling we actually were on television. We were on one of the major networks, 
Um, we had a deadly time slot, though. It was on at Monday morning at 2 a.m. in the morning. Wow. So we got it. But, <laughs> but the thing of it was, we actually drew rating points. We were the first show ever to draw rating points at that time slot. And they were on there. I forget how many weeks they were on. It was like, it was like 16 or 18 weeks worth of shows. You can find them on YouTube. They're, they're available on YouTube now. But there was guys like uh, Axel Rotten, um, uh, Agent Orange, uh, Golden Phoenix. Uh, there, there were a bunch of guys that were mostly local, the Baltimore, Pennsylvania type area. A lot of the guys from AWF, the Cream Team were there, uh, the Lords of Darkness, which was Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill, which, of course, everybody knows as Gilberg, um, were on that show. And, and they, we ran a lot of, we ran a lot of uh, TV on that. Um, and then, it, unfortunately, it got to the point that, that, unfortunately, as we all know in wrestling, egos kind of take hold. Mm. Um, so it got to the point that Ed and I decided we weren't going to do UIW anymore. We, were, we just decided to get to get away from UIW and then start our own group. And this is where we came up with Wrestling Independent Network, uh, which you showed a poster there, which I have there, the T-shirt here. This is our, this was our official T-shirt with, with the logo that you can see. I designed the logo myself. Nice. We came up with it, um, and we were we were strictly a house show product. We didn't we didn't have any TV. We didn't want any TV. And the poster you sh the poster you showed there was the, was our, our debut show in Baltimore. Um, we had we had an attendance of 2000 people 2000 and to this day that is still a record in the state of maryland for an independent wrestling show you and got the hockey top man versus nikolai volkov is the main event scotty yeah. versus tom brandy actually scott actually scotty didn't make the show scotty contacted us he, he something happened he couldn't be there uh and what we did was he actually sent an audio tape because again this is we're talking 1992, so technology right. was it was now, and we actually had King Kalua fill in for for him, and of course he had nice. King Kalua and Tom have wrestled each other all over the place, and that that's still going on. Um, that those guys are still there uh, wrestling, and and kudos to both of those guys for for still going. As you see, we had the Lords of Darkness versus the Cream Team. Um, we had a ladies match with Misty Blue and Linda Dallas, which which actually that one wound up being the main event of the show. We had to switch things a little bit. Because the uh, what happened was we didn't expect that amount of people, and what happened was Julia Blanton, who was our pre-R person, and Julia's worked a lot in the wrestling business. Uh, her brother wrestled as the Punisher, Tommy Rose, in Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania. <laughs> she got with one of the local weather newscasters, Tony Pagnotti, and found out he was a big honky tonk man fan. Oh. Tony did the weather forecast for that day from the venue, and it was on TV. So people just kept, we just kept getting walk up. We were expecting maybe four or 500 people and people just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And we had to keep putting chairs out and we had to keep, and, and so we delayed the whole card for like an hour just to try to get everybody in the building. So wow. there were a lot of kids there because again, it was for a charity, it was for a charity event for cystic fibrosis. So what we did was we shifted the honky tonk man, uh, Nikolai Volkov to earlier in the card for the kids. Because we knew that the parent, it was getting late. We didn't want, you know, we didn't want people walking out not seeing, you know, seeing those two guys uh, wrestle. So, but it it was an amazing, it was an amazing show. Um, and we Ed and I continue we continued on for him for about another two year or two. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, things kind of went south, and we we wind kind of disappeared. Um, and then uh, I, I, I was up in Pennsylvania at that point, and then we got involved with uh, American Commonwealth Wrestling with a gentleman by the name of Mark Bodie. Okay. Uh, Mark Mark ran uh, ACW, and we got involved with him, and we ran a bunch of shows, and we actually did a big TV show uh, called Salk and Slam, which was broadcast on local TV up there. And uh, we really enjoyed that uh, promotion. That was really good. It was really good shows. Um, we actually, uh, oh, going back actually to the wind show, the, one of the biggest matches we had on the wind show was Bob Backlund versus Paul Warndorf. Oh, nice. And that match was actually featured. They had a big three page article in PWI magazine about it. What year was that, Jeff? That was, uh, I think that was 92. Oh, nice. So that actually, that article actually got noticed and actually got them back into the big leagues. So Bob went, obviously went back to WWF where he won the title again. 
and Paul wound up back in WCW. So again, by highlighting those guys, we did, you know, we were able to, we were able to do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, ACW was going for a while and then we had started working with ECW at the time, which was still Eastern championship wrestling. Uh, it was still early on in that because we had worked, you know, through, we had worked with Joel for a bit through tri-state. Um, mm -hmm. of course then tri-state went under and then Todd Gordon picked up the pieces and, uh, started ECW. So we started working with them. Um, one of my most interesting times was we had a show where we had Terry Funk and Chris Benoit on a wind show and an ACW show. We actually drove them, myself and Tim Walker drove Terry Funk and Chris Benoit to the ECW show. So I got to spend two hours in the car with, with Terry Funk and Chris Benoit. Nice. I never laughed so hard in my life. Terry Funk was just trying to get under Chris's skin so bad because <laughs> Terry was like, Oh, when I was when I was NWA champion and we went up to the Hart's family's house and everything, there were cats everywhere and the cats were all over the tables and chairs and you couldn't move it or and I was watching, kind of watching Chris, because I was in the backseat with Chris and Terry was in the front with, with Tim. And and Chris didn't Chris kind of just cracked a little smile and all that and he didn't really respond to it, but 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 that was but that was very interesting to, to do that. He told the story about the cats messing yeah. all over everything. And yeah, he said they would serve dinner and they would just shoot a cat with it. <laughs> right. He said, yeah, we, they would just shoot the cats off the plates and wouldn't even clean the plates and put your food on top of it and all that. Right. And, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And he was just, like I said, Tim and I, I mean, tears were running down our face and everything. And just, it was just absolutely hysterical, you know, that we were doing that. And then, uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, about right after that time that, uh, Tragically, Mark Bodie and his fiance were killed by a drunk driver. Oh, so that, that kind of that, that was horrible. That was absolutely horrible. Mark was, you know, they were both so young, and and to, you know, to go out like that was just just absolutely terrible. And Mark was such a great guy. I remember him uh, running in Steel Steelton. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. We did the Steelton shows and stuff. Like yes, that. yes. He was, he was actually the first Old one Tim. to have. Uh, he was actually the first one to have uh, Terry uh, Terry Funk and Sabu. Right. That match actually happened before it happened in ECW, which and, apparently ECW called him. They tried to get him to call it off, and he said, "No." He's like, "I've already booked these guys. We're running. We're running the show." And and they and they did it. They ran. They ran the match. So that was the actual debut of Terry Funk versus Sabu, was actually in ACW and not ECW. Great stuff. Mark was yeah. a great guy. Shame yeah. passing. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it really is. And uh, so, you know, Ed and I, I think we ran one more ACW show after that, and, and then we, we just couldn't do it anymore. And Ed was starting to work with ECW at that time. And then I had already started be, I had already started my referee career at that point. And so I actually got to referee for ECW at, their, at the very first Hamburg uh, Fieldhouse show in uh, 93 so it was like september 93 or 94 oh okay yeah i, I was actually on that show yeah and i did a couple matches and i think the last match i did was the the baseball bat match between axel and ian and and the uh yep that's the that's the picture there we go from the that's from the field house mm -hmm. so yeah and, and it, it was okay i just you know i i think that i i, I came up more as a traditional uh, style referee and everything. So ECW really just wasn't a particular fit for me. Right. Uh, so I didn't really, I didn't really stay with them after that. Um, I came back to Maryland. I, I ref for a couple of uh, independents like MEWF and a couple of the other ones uh, that were here in Maryland. And I did that for a couple of years. And then around 99 or 2000, um, I found out that the promoter uh, from NWA New York was actually moving to Virginia. And uh, he was opening NWA Virginia at that point. And so I got in contact with him. And that's when I started refereeing for, for NWA. And uh, I did that for about, uh, I did that for about eight years. You know, that, that particular picture, that is from the <laughs> NWA Legends Fan Fest in uh, Charlotte in 2007. This was part of the uh, NWA World Title Tournament uh, that took place after the NWA got the belts back from TNA. Um, so I got, I got the referee, a semifinal match between, uh, Claudio Castanoli, who everybody knows as Cesaro and, uh, Brent Albright. Uh, what year was that, Jeff? That was 2007. 2007. Was 2007. Yeah. So, right. uh, yeah. So I did, you know, I did a lot of great cards for the NWA. I got the referee at the NWA 57th anniversary show in 2005 in Nashville. 
Um, and the one, the big match I did on that card was the uh, NWA British Commonwealth title match, which was again, Fergal Devitt, who everybody now knows as Finn Balor and Geronics from Canada. So I got to do that match amongst other matches on that show. So that was, that was really good. And I stay, I stay with the NWA until 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, my last match was with them was an NWA world title match, which was Adam Pierce against Damian Wayne. And that went an hour Broadway. That was an hour time limit draw. Wow. So, uh, wow. <laughs> so I did that. And then, uh, then I actually got out of the business at that point. Um, 2008 wasn't a particularly good year for the business. I mean, there were a lot of changes going on and, and not particularly for the better. Um, so I, I stepped away from it at that point, um, which was, you know, I had been doing it for, like I said, at that point, I'd been refereeing for like 15 years or so. And I had been in the business even longer than that. So it, it was kind of a, of a change for me to just walk away from it. Um, and just say, you know what, I'm really done. Um, you know, I just felt it, you know, more time for the family and everything. My, my daughter was like eight years old at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, just decided, you know, I, I, I wasn't seeing anything that I really liked. And I just basically stopped. I stopped watching it on television. I stopped reading the magazines and sheets. Um, I kept in touch with a few people that I had worked with and stuff like that, but I just really just, I really just didn't have any interest at all at the business at that point. And then, um, then around 2015 or yeah, it was around 2015, 2016, I got contacted by Ricky blues. Uh, Ricky was a wrestler, a light heavyweight from Maryland. Um, he was writing a book about professional wrestling and especially about the, the situations that had happened in Baltimore over the years. And, uh, he interviewed me for the book and, and, you know, I gave my thoughts and, and all that and, and that, and then, uh, he and Tim Walker started a, a little podcast show called Pioneers of the Independent Networks, which basically covered this area with the Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, New Jersey area um, from the beginnings of independent wrestling, like in the late 80s through today. Um, and then uh, Ed and I got back together at that point. And Ed was living in North Carolina at that time. He still is, actually. And he said, hey, you know what? I think you should come down and see these guys that I'm, that I'm watching right now. There's a group called... Uh, PWX, uh, Premier Wrestling Experience, which was running in, they were based in Charlotte and they were running through the Carolinas. He says, I think if you liked what we did what we, when we were doing it then, wait till you see what these guys are doing now. So I started making monthly trips to North Carolina, which was, uh, which was interesting because it's a seven hour trip. It's a seven hour ride one way uh, to Charlotte. Um, so I started doing that. Um, got involved with PWX, started working for them. And in 2018, I put the stripes back on again. Um, so I got to, I got the referee for, for, for PWX for about uh, a year and a half. And then unfortunately I had some medical issues crop up at that point. And uh, I decided, you know what, I really can't do this anymore. I just can't, you know, I can't risk my, my health at this point to, to be involved in the ring. Um, so I, I put away the stripes for the final time. Um, and, uh, you know, I just continued to work with them for a while and, and you know, try to mentor people, especially referees, uh, at that point, you know, cause I, you know, I, I don't feel that a lot of the schools are really training referees. They're basically training wrestlers and, and it's a shame because, and to do that, but there, there's a lot of good referees right now in the Carolinas and, and uh, uh, Jared Fritz is one of them. He works for the NWA now as well. And then uh, there's a young lady named Yolanda Wright and uh, Kevin Pierce and Chris Wiggins. There's a couple of those folks down there that are really good referees. And, uh, you know, and I, and I basically still support independent wrestling to this day. Um, um, hopefully now that the, hopefully now that COVID's kind of taken its toll on everybody, hopefully I can start traveling again a little bit and get back down there to the shows and start, uh, you know, start watching them again. And, you know, I try to watch stuff on YouTube. I like watching AAA out of Mexico. I think they do some really great stuff down there. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I watch AEW a lot right now on, on television. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I got a chance. One of the, one of the things I did that I really liked is I, I got, my daughter got a chance to see me referee. And that was a big, Awesome. That was a that was a big deal for me that, that we were that I was able to uh, have her go to the shows and I made sure that her, her first live show was an independent show. Yeah, yeah that's us at the uh, PWX uh, uh, Headlocks for Hospital show. Uh, that was November of 2018. Matter of fact, that was her birthday week, so I took her down there for her birthday and, and she got to meet James Storm and, and a bunch of the local guys and stuff like that. So yeah, 
I'm kind of just zooming through your timeline here. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of different, a lot of different people. Yeah, Joey Ryan, you know, at one of the PWX shows, and uh, yep, James D. Drake. That's that's my buddy. I like James. He, he's I'm really glad he's with PWX or uh, with AEW. Yep, we got to meet Teddy Long at one of the shows. Awesome. Yep. And uh, oh yeah, that was me refereeing the Barbarian in 2004. That was for the uh, NWA Virginia title. Right. So uh, live to tell that tale. And uh, yep, there's Brian Pillman Jr. And that was at the PWX show. That was before he went. To, that was before he got signed to AEW. Right. So yep, there's Nikita Koloff. That was the second time I had met Nikita. And like, and like, I had met him back in '89. Oh yeah, here we go. Yep, that was the original picture. Now, we were part of the same uh, wrestling radio fan club group. Right. Yours was in uh, Maryland. Mine was in Pennsylvania. Right. So we have, uh, you know, a lot of the same meet and greet pictures. Yeah. In a day, 88, 87, yeah. 88, 89. Yeah. This, was, uh, this was Jushin Liger on his retirement tour when he, he actually wrestled in Charlotte as part of the, the U.S. shows that he did in, in his retirement year. And that was the second time I met Jushin Liger. And I had actually met him. In 1992, at John Rezzi's uh, Weekend of Champions. Oh yeah, I remember that in New York. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to get a picture with him then, but I made sure at that point that, uh, yep, that was me. I, I that was having the U.S. belt. And there's Ed Zahn right behind there with the black oh. hat on. All right. Yep. Who's this fella? That's Ed. Who's that big guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He just got married, so I was down there. And I was down there this week. He got. He just got married, so. Uh, yeah, we've been, we've been best friends for 33 years. I mean, that's, you know, I, I owe everything to him. He taught me everything I know. Yep. That's Ian Maxwell. That was with the PWX Pure title. Oh, this is some great stuff. Yep. yep. There's uh, Claudio Castanoli or Cesaro, as we know him now. All right. And then... Yep. Here's a shot. <laughs> What's going yeah. on there? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, that's uh, Rob Rob Killjoy, one of the Ugly Ducklings. They had a, a, a weapons match or whatever. He got put through a table, so I I was down there. I think it was a ladder match. Yep, that's what one of the PWX shows. Oh, okay, ladder match. Yeah, the ladder match and the trash cans and the whole nine yards. So, uh, wow. Yep. So, what year was uh, PWX again? <laughs> um, they're, they're still running, but I, I started going to their shows in 2016. Um, they're, they're still running in the, in the, uh, in the, in the Charlotte, they run between Charlotte and, uh, some places There's slim J with the X 16, uh, trophy. That's a tournament that, uh, PWX runs every year they have a, a 16 person, uh, elimination tournament that they run each year. And the, the winner gets a trophy and a shot at the PWX, uh, title up oh, there's Serpenico as people, people recognize them from AEW. There's uh, Savid El Sabah. He's a great wrestler. I really like that guy. Uh, there's two, there's uh, Darius Lockhart there on the left and Savid El Sabah on the right. Awesome. Yeah. And there's yeah. that lovely little lady. There's my daughter, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was some, yeah. some great shots. Who's Tommy, Tommy Young? Tommy Young, yeah. Tommy showed up. They had the uh, they were working with the Crockett Foundation, and Tommy does appearances through the Crockett Foundation. And we got the, we were chit chatting for a while and stuff. It was really great to meet him. Of course, I had patterned a lot of my. I was just going to ask that him. who who were your uh, influences as far as referees went? Uh, you know, when you were first starting out, who did yeah. you kind of look at and say, "Oh, I'd kind of like to," you know? Well, I, I I watched a lot of the NWA guys, Tommy especially. Um, for that, because again, I, I kind of like that traditional style that they did. So I patterned myself. The funny thing is I, I was never formally trained. I, I, I never had any formal training. I literally got a phone call one night in November of 93 from Axel Rotten saying, Hey, we got a card coming up here in uh, November of 93 at a high school here in Maryland. Um, and we need it. One of our referees dropped out. We need one. He goes, I know you study the matches. I know you know what you, which what you need to do just get a striped shirt a dark pair of pants and show up at the card there you go <laughs> and i went i'm doing when i'm doing an eight person tag team match wow and actually tony stetson and johnny Hotbody were there it was axel and ian and then i think there were a couple of local guys um i lasted through most of the match until axel hit me in the head with a metal chair 
Oh, nice. Yeah. And, and anybody, who ever, anybody who ever worked with Axel know he's, he does not work. He did not work light. No. I, right. I can tell you that right now. I got, I got one hand up on my, to kind of try to block it. My hand was, my whole hand was black and blue for a week. I thought for sure I had broken it. Oh, but, poor Jeff. That was a shot there. Nikolai Volkov, we had taken him to the, uh, that was actually one of the last shows that he did before he passed away. Oh, that's yeah. Julie Blanton there. On, and that was a, a independent show in Virginia uh, that I took him to. Cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nikolai. <laughs> yeah. And there goes, who's this fellow? Oh, that's, um, oh, and now I'm going to forget his name. Oh, he's in WWE now. Oh, Cedric Alexander. Goodness gracious. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cedric had actually started out at PWX and then, and then now he's there. And I see Ed Zahn's got his own t shirt, huh? Yeah, he does. He does. That's great. I'm an Ed Zahn guy. Yeah. Yeah. Ed, Ed's, one of, Ed's, Ed's one of those guys, you know. Um, I can't say enough about Ed. I think there's a ton of people um, right now that owe a lot to Ed. Uh, he really gave a lot of people chances uh, in the business, and he always ran quality shows, uh, without a doubt. Um, and he looked at it from a fan's perspective. I mean, he really respected the fans and really tried to run quality shows. And, and you know, a lot of people don't know who he is, and, and that's it. And that's the way he liked it. I mean, he wasn't out there to put himself over. He wanted to put the workers over. He wanted to put the fans over. You know, he wanted to run those shows to, so that everybody was happy, um, you know, in what they did and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, no, there's an oldie. That was that was one of the luncheons. That was the rock That's why I stopped at this one. I think. Yeah, and actually, if you notice, they're both wearing bracelets on the wrist. <laughs> yes. Those, those bracelets were actually uh, replicas of the NWA World Tag Titles, and both yeah. of them had one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days of the, uh, you know, the wrestling radio fan club. Yeah. The uh, the meet and greets. Yeah. Everywhere. I think we, we got to meet people that, uh, you know, a lot of fans didn't get the opportunity to meet. And we were such small groups, you know, right. in different cities, but, you know, small, very candid. Yeah. And, like, and, you know, nobody was, nobody was doing that at the time. I mean, now kind of everybody does meet and greets, but that but that was one <clears> of those <throat> things that Joel kind of innovated that, that people just, you know, because, and again, too, I understand part of it is the travel schedules, especially at that time, was, as we all know, you know, they were, those guys were on the road 50 weeks out of the year, and they were basically just going from town to town to town to town, you know, and there wasn't a lot of time for that to, to do all that. So, you know, it was kind of great to, to, to kind of meet these guys outside of the, you know, the wrestling shows and stuff like that. Yep, there's the stinger. There's another one. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was a great group uh, to get an opportunity to meet the guys that you you know normally wouldn't have an opportunity to get close to. That's a nice shiny belt there. So yeah, that was, the, that was the NWA Continental Belt. That was they ran that down in Virginia and Carolina for a while. Nice, very nice. And let's see. So just going through your your uh, Facebook yeah. pictures here. You work for the National Wrestling Alliance for a while. Tommy, uh, did, did you have any questions for Jeff? Uh, no, I was going to comment on uh, Axel Rotten. Yeah. He um, had me halfway out the window at the uh, Elf's Lodge in uh, Queens. And then on top of that, he showed me a pair of scissors, like Fiskers with the orange handle. He said, you know, at some point in the match, I'll pull these out and uh, on one side is like this little serrated and the other mm -hmm. one is just flat. He says, you know, of course I'll turn it over, you know, and, and just wait, if I do touch you with it, it won't, won't get the serrated. Well, no, he did not turn it over. <laughs> and while he's pushing down, you know, I guess, you know, sometimes during, during the heat of a, a match, you're not realizing how hard you're pushing down. I actually had to like push away sure, uh, just to keep him from really, I mean, I got a pretty good one, but, um, yeah, so he tried to throw me out the window, and then he lacerated me with the with the serrated side of the of the scissors. So, yeah, yeah, you had to you had to be careful with him because he would go a little bit too far sometimes. Oh yeah, I don't think it was intentional. He just would get carried away. But you got to keep your head about you. You know, when you're doing right. something like that, and somebody else's health is in your, you know, in your hands. Exactly, for sure. 
So, Jeff, um, what do you think about the current product and the future of professional wrestling? You could take a second to think about that. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're in an interesting time right now. Um, one of the things I do like about the product is there's something for everyone out there. You know, back in the day, and I, and I know, you know, we can all talk about it. When, you know, when you had the territory days and stuff, it was very specific about what you saw. WWF ran their style of wrestling. Mid-Atlantic ran their style. World-class ran their style. But the problem was a lot of people weren't able to be exposed to that. And, you know, nowadays with the internet and everything we have, you can watch everything. You can go back and watch those old shows. You can watch all the new shows. You can watch all the, you know, the, the great stuff that's out there. But there's basically a style of wrestling for everyone that's out there. Um, what I worry about sometimes is I worry about the, the, the quality of some of the shows. You know, I like to go to a show that, you know, that where I see people making a real effort at what they're doing. And it doesn't always work out that way. And, it, and it's just, you know, sometimes, and unfortunately, we, all, we, we know because uh, we've all experienced that there's unscrupulous promoters out there. There's unscrupulous workers that are out there. You know, th those things I try to avoid. But the problem is that's the stuff a lot of times that gets publicized. And I think that it hurts the business because I'm sure it turns people off, especially who may be just casual fans or maybe thinking about, you know, being a fan of wrestling. And you, you, you hear all these, you know, the, these terrible stories that come out and, and things that, that happen in the business. Um, we talk a lot about the Me Too movement and everything that's going on with that. And, and that's, and it's terrible. And it unfortunately, a lot of times overshadows a lot of the good that's being done. in Because I see a lot of the promotions doing great shows for charities or to do uh, specifically for a person who maybe needs help uh, for medical expenses or things like that. Those shows kind of get overlooked because everybody's looking for, for the dirty part of the business, which, you know, I, I know it's not going to be ever eliminated completely, unfortunately. But, you know, I hope that... <clears throat> that people will, will try to look past that and try to look at the good that the wrestling is doing right now. Um, I'm, I'm excited with the, with the product, the mainstream product. I, I'm still not a WWE fan. I, I just can't, I can't really get behind the product at this point. And, and it's unbelievable that they have a roster the size that they have and they have three major television shows and they're on what, six or seven hours a week. And, and they can't seem to fill it with anything good. And I don't, you know, they don't let these people be who they are. And because uh, matter of fact, I just heard today, I think that Cesaro, apparently he's left WWE. And there's a guy who I've worked with personally, and I know what type of wrestler he is. And he's a fantastic wrestler. And I think that they just get pigeonholed by WWE into doing, you know, these ridiculous <clears throat> gimmicks or, or they change their, their, their character so badly that it just becomes hard for them to work. And I, and I think they get, I think, I, I can't speak personally, but I feel that maybe the, the workers get disillusioned with that. Yeah, maybe they're making good money and stuff, but if they're not, it, it's a craft, it's an art. And if you can't be the artist that you want to be, then you get bored with it or you just get dissatisfied with it. I mean, you see some of these guys, especially that have left WWE and go to AEW. I mean, you could just tell their demeanors totally different. I watched the Keith Lee debut. On that, I mean, you could just tell he was happy to be there, you know. And they and they they did a really good job with this debut, and hopefully they'll be able to keep you know to keep it. And again, he's Keith Lee. He's not Bearcat. He's not anything else. He's Keith Lee, and and that's what they're doing. The same with like Brian Danielson and a bunch of the other guys that are there. Now they're letting them be themselves and be the characters that everybody and and do the wrestling that everybody expects them to do. And, you know, and I, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that eventually, the, you know, I think the competition <clears throat> between AEW and, and WWE is a good thing. A competition is always good. And I think that, that Vince has been on his own so far, so long, you know, basically since WCW and ECW went away mm. where he bought them, um, that, that he's gotten a little arrogant in what he does. And, and granted, I know he's making gobs of money. And, and but it's to me, it's tough that wrestling fans that the last 20 years had nothing but WWE. You know, there really wasn't anything out there, at least on mainstream television, that, 
you know, other than that. And hopefully now that they see that the AEW and they start seeing that there are things that are different and they're doing other things too. I mean, AEW is helping highlight impact and new Japan and then, and AAA and all this other stuff that's going on. So they're, they're doing a good job at, of exposing the fans that, Hey, we're not the only game in town. There's all the ones out here. Here's these guys are over here from impact. These guys are in from new Japan and vice versa and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, kind of opening up that door and, you know, giving the fans a little bit of a choice out there. It's always nice when the promotions start to work together. So then they give the fans a, you know, a bit of variety in what they're seeing on, on a weekly program because, you know, no one wants to watch the same stale roster on, you know, five different shows of five different titles, but you have the same people on there. So right. it's, it's always good to see people expand and, and start to use other talent and give the exposure where it's, it's really necessary. Yeah, so. and I'm sure the workers like it too, because again, especially with the, when you're exchanging talent between the promotions, it's giving them the chance to work in a different company, you know, yeah. maybe a different style of wrestling than what they're used to and kind of, you know, helping them to, to be better wrestlers because they're, they're having to work a different way than maybe they're, they've been used to. Right. So uh, is there anything in, in the future that you might look forward to maybe considering attending as far as wrestling goes is, is if it's just like uh, work wise, maybe you want to come back as a referee or maybe promoting wise, or maybe even just as a fan, are you interested in anything in the near future that, you know, we might be? Yeah, I, I think basically I, I, at this point in my life, I'm pretty much just a fan. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't think I'm going to be, I'm not really capable uh, to, to get back in the ring. Um, I, I am, again, I am planning to go back down to the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to start seeing a couple of the independent shows. There's uh, APW that runs in South Carolina. Uh, there's AML that runs in North Carolina. There's a couple other, you know, little promotions that are down there. You know, I, I, I basically, if I go to shows, I, I like to go to the independent shows. I like to see these, these up and comers, you know, come along and, and try to do that and stuff. And, you know, I'm always willing to mentor people. I, I, you know, if people want to ask me questions and all that, I'm certainly willing to share my knowledge you know, with them and give them advice and, and you know, hopefully they, they can, you know, hopefully it helps them in, in some way to, uh, to, to be a better, whatever it is, referee, worker, whatever, you know, and I'm always, when I go to shows, I always give my time to them. I always try to help out with set up, break down. And, you know, I've done that for a long time. Um, Ted Petty was one of the guys that taught me how to do a ring, okay. you know, and I worked Ed and, I, Ed and I worked with Ted for a lot of years uh, doing ring rentals and, and things like that and, uh, and uh, work with him and, and just, you know, just type that. And that's, that's what I would encourage, too, for people. If you're thinking about getting into the business, learn that stuff. Learn how to do the ring. Learn how to do setup. Learn how to do breakdowns. You know, learn how to, you know, just work on those things. Make yourself more valuable to the promotion. Uh, by being willing to do those things and, and you know, get your foot in the door. Because that's when I started, I basically started in the front office. I was I was never a wrestler. I didn't start to be a referee. You know, I, I worked, I kind of worked at, I guess, opposite from what a lot of people do. You know, a lot of people get in as workers right away and then maybe transition to a front office, you know, maybe later on down the line. Now I kind of did it, it, did it backwards, but it's whatever right. worked for you. Right, exactly. Whatever order works for you, right? And and it did work for you, yeah. uh, all the way into um, how many decades? Well, going on four now, four, you know, four okay. decades at least at this point. So, um, you know, yeah, so absolutely that's, that's, did something right. Yeah, that's one of those things, you know. And it's just, you know, I'm just thrilled. I this this was like a childhood dream, and I and I've got got mm -hmm. into it. And I've I've gone way farther in it than I really expected to. I didn't, you know, I didn't think that I would ever be in the ring. I didn't think I would referee people. I didn't think I would be helping run shows and all that kind of stuff. So I I've been very very fortunate that I got to do that for as long as I as long as I have been doing it, you know. And and uh, you know, and I just encourage everyone to continue to support and especially independent wrestling, you know, support those those small promotions that are just trying to, you know, eke out a, a little bit of a living and Hey, you never know, you know, Ric Flair didn't start out being Ric Flair right off the yeah. bat. You know, they all start, they all had to start somewhere <laughs> and you, you might be surprised. You see, you know, like I said, I see a lot of these people now, people I know like Lady Frost. I know Lady Frost very well. She started off 
her dad used to, or actually her grandfather wrestled in the Pittsburgh studio wrestling oh. back in the day with Bruno. So she's got a family tied to it. But now she's with Impact. You know, I, and, and, and J.D. Drake, we talked about James Drake. He, he's now an AEW. You know, those, those, I love those stories. That's the stories I really love. I love seeing people that I know who have been able to move on to that next level and, and get the, the just do that they deserve because they've been, they've been busting their butts for years and years to try to get to that level. Now they've got those breaks. But, you know, when you go to those shows, you may be seeing those next people who are going to be the next AEW world champion or WWE world champion or going to New Japan or wherever it is that they go. You just never know until you, until you try it out. You really don't. And for those people that bust their humps, working hard, definitely do deserve it. And, you know, congratulations to those who make it to that level. Uh, There's some that never get a chance to. Uh, and, and I want to speak on that point real quick. You know, if you're, if you're a wrestler or referee or whatever, if you don't ever get to AEW or WWE or something like that, you're not a failure. Okay. No, and we, all, we all know it, it's a triangle and and the closer you get to the top the smaller it gets mm. so and it's and it's being like anything it's being it's being a, a rock star or a, a, a pro football player or a pro a pro athlete of any point there's only that <laughs> small percentage that are going to get to that to that point some of it's skill a lot of it's luck a lot of it's being in the right place at the right time and the right people see you who you know you know, because you don't get to that point, just because you don't get to that point, you're not a failure. Right. Okay? And, and some people may not be built for that type of thing. You know, I look at, uh, you know, you look at, we, we know, we, we look at those wrestling schedules. Uh, some people just can't be on the road that much. And that's, that's a hard, that's a hard, hard life. And, and we've all seen, unfortunately, the, the horror stories that come out of that and, and you know, and, and things about addictions and, 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 you know, and bad times and broken families because of it and all that. It's not, it's not for everybody. You have to decide for yourself if you do it. And if you just stay at being an independent wrestler on a local level, Hey, that's great. That's, that's, you're already ahead of the game in my book that you've gotten to that point. Yeah. Especially when you, when you look at like all three of us sitting here all started with the same story. I became a wrestling fan when, my uncle brought me to the match. I saw it on TV. You know, and so if we all started with that, our intention at that point of being a fan, we didn't even think about, you know, sure. that early if we would ever. So you're right. I mean, if you make one move beyond being a fan, you've done more than you originally anticipated. I mean, until I was able enough physically to maybe even think about it, I really didn't. You know, it was like 160 when I started thinking about it. I didn't start thinking about it when I was 10 I wasn't like a, a young kid. I'm gonna want to be a police officer. I wanted to watch wrestling. That's that's all I wanted to do at that point. And then you know you fast forward, and all of us have had our successes. And I consider myself lucky to have been a, a part of it. And I think that's where the problem is today. These kids don't realize that a good percentage of them would never have had a shot many years ago because right. uh, you know the criteria was much different. Well, no, it was a close. It was a closed system too. Yeah. I mean, if we really think about, I mean, we think about the NWA. We talk about the NWA lot. That was really formed to monopolize the business. Yeah. And that's what they did. They controlled it. And if you weren't part of the NWA, you weren't part of it. I mean, you were an outlaw. You weren't. You weren't, <laughs> yeah. you weren't part. You were blacklisted. You know, if you tried to run shows or, or if you worked for someone else, you weren't supposed to. You basically got. You basically got kicked out of the business at that point. And they yeah. had a total, they had an absolute iron grip on everything at that point. You know, and it wasn't until later on until they started breaking up a little bit. And then they started off. And then, you know, remember, independent shows weren't called independent. They were called outlaw shows. Outlaw. Yeah, we just covered that yesterday. You're just oh, yeah. so, you know, that's Actually, you're so, you and Ed Zahn were under the outlaw list for the states of Maryland and Pennsylvania. I saw that at one time. We, we got a big yeah. kick out of that. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I... You know, of course, that term hasn't been used for a lot of years, but that, right. you know, tech, you know, at, at that point, you know, the by the time we started, like I said, the NWA's grip had basically been broken uh, on the business, so it was, it was, uh, yeah, I saw that, I saw that listing one time. We got, we got a good laugh out of that. You know. <laughs> yeah, hey, you're in in history as an outlaw, so right. bravo. Yeah, I guess. Well, it's it's great when uh, people get to uh, live their dream. 
and uh, tell their story. And, and I know that, uh, you know, some people haven't heard your story. And I'm actually glad that we took time to uh, sit here and listen to it because I've learned a lot that, uh, you know, I, I did not know about Jeffrey T. Calvo. And I'm certainly glad that uh, we sat here and, and asked. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed your time here telling well, you. I, I, I appreciate you having me on. This has been great. Do you have any uh, social media outlets or anything to, to promote or anything you want to get out there? Uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook uh, as Jeffrey T. Capo. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Jeff Capo. Um, that's basically the only two I do right now. So, uh, you know, I'm always there and, uh, you know, people feel free to contact me and uh, I'll be happy to, you know, share pictures or stories or whatever they want. So I'm, I'm always happy to talk to folks. Well, I do a round table, maybe. I know you probably know Fred Rubenstein, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, maybe we'll do a round table with a couple of referees, you and, and Fred, great. and maybe we'll get somebody else, George Panaha or somebody. Sure. Oh, that sounds fantastic, Tommy. The referee round table, actually, yeah. would be, uh, I think, classic stories from, uh, you know, all of you. So we'll get to that one day. We'll talk about uh, referee round table. And until then, thank you for joining Wrestling Rewind. Uh, I am your host, uh, Angel Amoroso, and my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jeffrey T. Capo. Uh, enjoyed having you and hearing about your story. And uh, if you want to get in touch with Jeff, he's on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, get over to Jeff. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Wrestling Rewind. We enjoyed having Jeffrey T. Capo as our guest. We learned so much about him, and we hope that you'll join us on Wrestling Rewind next week, uh, Sunday at 7 p.m. on YouTube, Monty and the Pharaohs Network. And for myself, Angel Amoroso, and my co-host, the Iron Man Tommy Cairo, uh, have a nice night and a nice life. Good night. <laughs>